that's not the point. Uh, but the point is that, that we're going to be looking at a, a number of uh, scriptures today, a number of quotes. And so I wanted, rather than, you know, I love uh, a sword drill as much as everybody else, uh, but rather than, than doing the popcorn thing, I figured we would just put them all up so you can see them and, and we'll, we'll be able to go through them uh, that way. Now, I think a class like this, a class on evangelism, uh, especially needs to begin with a disclaimer. Uh, and that disclaimer is that those who teach classes on evangelism may be mistaken for experts on the subject, and that is not uh, the case. Now, it's often said if you want to embarrass a pastor, you should ask him about his prayer life. Uh, the same could probably be said of evangelism. If you want to ask, embarrass a pastor, ask him how well he's evangelizing those around him. Uh, and I think probably the same could be said for most members of most congregations. Uh, there are two things that we as believers tend to feel guilty about in our Christian living, in our Christian walk. One of them is our prayer life. We always feel like we're not praying enough. Uh, and uh, we can tend to feel guilty about our evangelism as well, that we're not speaking enough about Christ. Now, it's an interesting thing to consider those two, and as we go along, maybe we'll, we'll see some of the way that those two go together. Uh, maybe it is that we aren't speaking enough about Christ uh, because we're not speaking enough to Christ. Maybe our prayer and our evangelism have something to do with one another. But uh, uh, needless to say, I'm not teaching on evangelism because I feel like I'm a particularly gifted evangelist. Uh, I think I am like a lot of you when, uh, when those situations arise uh, and unexpectedly I, I find myself uh, in a spiritual conversation with someone uh, other than uh, the people in this congregation. I feel totally at home talking to you all about spiritual things, but if I'm out in the world, if I'm dealing with a member of my family or a neighbor or someone in the community and spiritual questions come up, I'm probably like you. My heart starts to race and my palms get sweaty and I feel uh, just this anxiety weighing on me. And I'm not sure uh, what exactly all contributes to that, uh, but I know that, that sometimes afterwards I spend a lot of time thinking uh, and trying to decipher, well, did, did I say the right thing? Did I say it at the right time? Did, did I say it in the right order? Was I presenting things in the best possible way? And so just this disclaimer that we're together in this, uh, that we need to grow together, uh, I think, in evangelism. And I'm not teaching because I'm a gifted evangelist, but I'm teaching because I'm the pastor. Uh, and as your pastor, I'm called to be an evangelist. Uh, but I think also in some sense, uh, you are called to be an evangelist as well, if you are a follower of Christ. Maybe not in the same ways, maybe not with the same kinds of ministry, but there is a calling on all of God's people to evangelize. Now, uh, you also know that I am pretty useless without uh, a guiding text, and so we've got two to start us off. Uh, this is the idea that, uh, that we find in John 17 and John 20. Jesus says, uh, speaking to uh, the Father in the high priestly prayer in John 17, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Speaking of his disciples, uh, speaking of his 12 that he was going to send. Uh, and then later, after Jesus is resurrected, uh, Jesus said to them again, John 20, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what is it to be one of Christ's disciples? Well, it is to be a sent one. Uh, it is to recognize that he is the one who is sent into the world by the Father, to gather his people, uh, and that just as he had that kind of ministry, so he told his disciples, greater works than the ones that I've done, so you will do. I think part of that is 
gathering in the nations, uh, evangelizing, spreading the message of the gospel. And so we need to recognize, I think, at the outset uh, that our impetus for evangelism comes in the sense that Christ was sent and he has sent us. Now, it brings up a question. Uh, why this? Uh, why this particular study? Uh, and uh, why now? And a, and a few things. Um, you may recall that last year we had a short study on uh, worship. Uh, and that study on worship was spurred by the session study for 2017. We read a couple books. Uh, the session spent uh, a whole year studying what, what biblical worship ought to look like. And we wanted to give some return to the congregation for our study. We're, we're doing the same thing. Over the course of 2018, we have been studying and, and continue to study a little bit uh, evangelism. And we're reading a couple books together. We're having uh, discussions in our session meetings. Uh, and the crowd continues to grow. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but we wanted to have some return. We, we wanted to, to summarize a little bit of what we've been studying uh, and to present it in a way that it might be helpful for the congregation. But uh, in addition to that, evangelism is a perennial issue, uh, especially at Redeemer. Uh, I think at a lot of churches, really. I've, I've been at Redeemer since, uh, in some various capacities, since 2009. Uh, this will be my 10th year with you all. Uh, I've been on the session, or at least involved in session meetings, since 2012. Uh, and consistently, every year, something that comes up, uh, month after month, we're trying to figure out how can we be more evangelistic as a congregation, as individuals. Uh, now, what exactly that looks like, we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit, but it's something that, that the leadership of Redeemer, at least, uh, continues to talk about. In 2008, I believe it was, uh, it was a little bit before my time, but there was a, uh, not a church growth conference so much as a church revitalization conference called Embers to Flame. Uh, it's run by Briarwood Presbyterian Church out of uh, Alabama. Uh, and several of our elders went to that conference, and they, they walked through several different areas of church health, not church growth, but church health. Uh, and our session came back from that meeting uh, with three areas that, that we felt, or that they felt at the time, that, that the church needed to grow. And one of those was evangelism. Uh, and so it is this perennial issue that keeps coming up. And then uh, we also are thinking about this facilities search. Um, and in part, our conversation about facilities has to do with uh, this overarching desire to have more visibility in a community, to be able to have uh, some sort of gospel present, uh, penetration into the community where we are. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we think that uh, a building will solve our problems with evangelism. We're well aware that oftentimes uh, buildings and things like that can be a, really a sidetrack. And you can get far too involved in, ooh, this is our building, let's stake our claim and let's, uh, let's build up this thing. Uh, but uh, part of, of our impetus for talking about a building originally was this desire, how can we be more visible in the community? So all of that uh, brings us to where we are now. Restructuring mission and vision statements, proclaiming evangelism as something that we think that Redeemer ought to be concerned about and striving toward. I have three goals uh, for our conversation today. My guess is that we we might get to two of them, but that's okay. Next week, we can pick up uh, where we're leaving off. Um, the first goal is just to talk about our mission and vision statement. I sent out a, a letter a while ago. Uh, hopefully, all of you got a copy of that letter. If you haven't gotten a copy of that letter, we have copies uh, available we can get to you, uh, where we introduced our, our new statements that, that we put together as a session. Um, so I, I want to talk about that and especially want to zero in on 
uh, one of the changes which is putting evangelism front and center in our mission statement. One of the, the three core uh, principles, really, that, that we think the church ought to be uh, about, uh, and, and listing evangelism as that. So that's the first view, to talk about our, our new statements and how evangelism fits into that, uh, and then to lay the foundation and just talk about what it is that we mean by evangelism. Uh, and then finally, uh, maybe to correct a few misconceptions about what evangelism is. So uh, let's get started with the, the vision and the mission. Hopefully you have seen these already. Uh, but again, I wanted to have it so that you could see them. We could walk through it together. Uh, our new vision, I know you can read, but it says magnifying the glory of God in the cross of Christ. Now, when you're talking uh, about uh, a vision statement, uh, and a mission statement, these two are really very different. Uh, some of you have been involved in, uh, in crafting these. You know uh, how it goes. You know the way that you can, you can continue to refine and refine and refine until the cows come home, and at some point you have to say, well, this is, this is the best we've got. And this is the best we've got, but I think it's pretty good, actually. Uh, because a vision statement ought to be uh, sort of the, the grand vision of when everything is complete, when we've, when we've reached our appointed end what will things look like? And as a church, as a body of believers, that appointed end is not exactly here in this life. Uh, our vision ought to be an eschatological vision, an end times vision, that we ought to be playing the long game, not just, uh, well, we, we want to have a bigger and bigger congregation. No, our, our desire is to come to that beatific vision of standing before the throne of God with all of his saints redeemed, gathered together, and worshiping him for all of eternity. That is the vision. That, that's always the vision for all believers, whether we realize it or not. And we wanted simply to say that, that our goal is to magnify the glory of God in the cross of Christ. You can find this, again, I, I sent out a letter, and we talked about uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Paul talks about God's, um, God's plan, which he set forth in Christ uh, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And then we're told three specific times in that passage that it all resounds. God's plan from before the foundations of the world were laid. God's plan is for the praise of his glorious grace. And so this is what we ought to be about. Our vision as a church ought to be about making God's glory uh, look or appear greater. That's the idea of magnifying. That We don't actually make God glorious. God is glorious. Uh, whether believers or unbelievers recognize it or not, whether we are willing uh, to acknowledge it or, or de independent of our understanding of how glorious he is, God is glorious. So we don't make him glorious, uh, but our goal both, uh, both now and in eternity is to magnify that glory. Just as, uh, as Mary in the Magnificat, my soul magnifies uh, the Lord my Savior. That's an important idea that she's taking, uh, she wants to take in that God's glory and, and proclaim it. And make it known to others. And, and that's the goal that we have. That's the vision. Um, now, I, I had a little bit of feedback, uh, and I think it's worth raising just because um, if it was a question that was asked to me, maybe it's a question that somebody else is asking. And the question was, well, we understand uh, the glory of God, uh, but why that phrase at the end, in the cross of Christ? Now, couldn't, we, couldn't we pick lots of really good phrases for the end there? W what about uh, the redemption of Christ. So here we are at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Why not say we want to magnify God's glory in redemption? And, that, and that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good phrase. So what about the redeeming power of the triune God? What about uh, the enacted love of the Father through the Son by the Spirit? What about the covenant faithfulness 
uh, of God Almighty. Those are all pretty good, uh, at least theologically accurate statements. And there are lots of theologically accurate statements we could, we could list there. Uh, but our session, uh, beginning with our subcommittee, but then uh, on to our session, really zeroed in on this phrase of the cross of Christ. Paul uses this in the New Testament uh, in one sense as kind of a shorthand for the gospel. But he uses it as, as more than that. Uh, it is a shorthand for the gospel that also speaks of identification uh, with the rejected Lord. So listen to Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. Paul says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So how is Paul using the cross of Christ there? Well, it is this shorthand of, of the gospel, the Christian message, but is also countercultural. It's an identification with Christ rather than with the world. He's saying those who want you to be circumcised really are just trying to keep from being persecuted because the cross of Christ is an offense. It's an offense to, to human sensibilities of pride and a sort of idea that, you know, I can do it on my own. Well, no, the reason Christ came, the reason for the cross is that we can't do it on our own. And we want to acknowledge that front and center. And we want to acknowledge that we don't want to be aligned with the world, but we want to be identified with Christ. We need to be in the world. That's what he, he prayed for his disciples. Lord, not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. Uh, and so we're, we want to recognize that as a church, we're in the world, uh, but we're identified with Christ. And that may put us at odds with the world around us. I think that's an important beginning point to think about evangelism, uh, that, that we don't just simply go into the world uh, trying to look like everything else and look like what the world is all about, but there's a different message. Uh, and, and so we need to have this in the back of our minds there. Any questions on the vision before we move on to the mission? Good. Uh, another uh, disclaimer that, that today's uh, Sunday School might be a little less interactive than some of our other ones. Uh, hence, uh, the slide projections, so you can have something to look at rather than me. Um, but uh, there's a lot of information, I, I think, that we need to, we need to gather. Now, on, on to the mission. Um, as the Lord enables, we worship in spirit and truth, grow in love and holiness, evangelize in word and deed, make disciples. Now, let me parse that out just a little bit for you. Um, it seems a little strange because there are these three elements and then there's this one hanging on at the end there. I hope you can see it. Um, and it stands out by the way that it is not like the others. One of these things is not like, yeah. Um, so it's not like the others. Uh, and I think what we're getting at, um, for better or for worse, what we're getting at is the fact that you could take out those three in the middle, worship, grow, evangelize, and you could say simply, Redeemer's mission is that as the Lord enables, we make disciples. And it should make just as much sense. That is, uh, that those three things in the middle are how 
we make disciples? How is it that God's people are, are changed? How is it that we grow in him? Well, we think that worship uh, and spiritual growth and, and evangelization are part of the church's task of making disciples. Now, this raises the much larger question. This, this idea of mission is not the same as vision. Uh, vision is that end-time goal, uh, what we hope to have been accomplished uh, when we reach God's plan for us. But the mission statement is, what will we do while we're getting there? How do we, how do we get to that vision? And it raises this larger question of, what is the mission of the church? Now, you would think, uh, in some sense, that this would be a really easy question to answer. Uh, but history has shown that there are lots and lots of people, lots of churches that have come up with the wrong answer uh, to this question. Some of the options. Uh, perhaps the church is about social justice. Uh, we will hear today uh, from Luke chapter 4 where Jesus says, I have come to preach good news to the poor and to uh, liberate the captives and, and all of these other things. And some people, some churches have latched onto that and said, well, well, if this is what Jesus was about, then clearly the church needs to be primarily about promoting some sort of social change. And you find this everywhere uh, from good-natured um, sort of liberals uh, who simply want to go to a, another country and dig wells. Uh, you find this all the way to liberation theology in South America, where uh, the idea of the church, they think, is to, uh, is to level the playing field and to have a sort of uh, communist revolution, I, I may not be using the, the right uh, categories, but you know what I'm getting at. Uh, some sort of socialism, almost, that, that we need to uh, enact social change. Uh, and there was a push a number of years ago uh, to, to have the social gospel. We're talking about, well, the, the church engages in mercy ministry for the sake of sharing the gospel, and, and that ought to be part of the case. Social uh, awareness, social action, is part of what Christ did in the world and what he calls his people to do, but it's not the point. It's certainly not the main thing, and, and ultimately, when you see the social gospel going forth, it tends to lose the gospel aspect. It tends just to devolve into social change, social justice, uh, and it tends to remove the idea of who Christ is and what he has done and his atoning work. Uh, so then there's the other one. Well, what about material blessing? This is a, this is a parallel track uh, with social justice. Um, the idea being, well, um, some people will latch on to that calling to Abraham. Abraham, I, I'm going to call you to come out of your land and go to a new place, and I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. So some people looking at the, the overarching story of, uh, of the Bible will say, well, that's the point of the church. That was the point of Abraham and all of his descendants to be a blessing uh, to the nations as they are blessed by the Lord. And so it, it runs parallel to this sort of social uh, justice idea, and then some others uh, simply turn the church into fellowship. I don't know if, uh, if any churches do this intentionally, but this is what happens. Uh, and, and you know the slide, right? When there is simply no other impetus to go outside of the church, uh, no other drive to proclaim anything to the world around, and it becomes sort of just a holy gathering. Sometimes a not-so-holy gathering where people just get together and we, we go into our Christian enclave to be with all of our Christian friends and we have sort of a Christian fellowship uh, and we bar the world from anything that we're doing and anything that we're speaking. Now, again, this is important. It's important to have Christian community. That's why we have a church. That's why we have membership. That's why we fence the table. 
this is part of the reason that, that we ought to be a community of people gathered together, uh, growing together in the Lord, and part of it is the blessing of fellowship. But all of those fall short of the true mission of the church. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25, uh, section 3. If you've been around Redeemer for a while, you've heard me quote this. Uh, in chapter 25, uh, the Westminster divines are telling us, well, what is the church all about? The first section, they define the, universal or the, uh, the invisible church. rather. Uh, the second section, they define the visible church, the church on earth that you can see with your eyes, the institutional church, we might call it. Uh, and then in 25.3, they give us their vision for what the church ought to be about. Let's read it together. Uh, Unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry oracles and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world. And he does, by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. Now, what is them? Well, them is the ministry oracles and ordinances. Now, this, I think, is, is laying out uh, not only what the church ought to be doing, but how the church does it. The church ought to be engaged in the gathering and the perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world. But how does the church do that? Well, it is through the uh, ministry, the oracles, and the ordinances of God. Now, this may sound familiar to you, even if you've never seen this, uh, because you are probably familiar with uh, the great uh, commission passage in the end of Matthew. I'm quoting here, uh, Young's literal translation, because it helps to draw out some of what Christ actually said uh, and the form of the Greek. Uh, so here's what Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 says. And having come near, Jesus spake to them, saying, Given to me was all authority in heaven and on earth. Having gone then, disciple all the nations, baptizing them to the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all. Whatever I did command you, and lo, I am with you all the days till the full end of the age. Now, the reason I, I'm using this particular version is that it helps us to see a few things uh, about what Christ has in mind here. Uh, in the Westminster Confession, what you see are these, these ideas, these three things. How is the church to fulfill its mission? What tools does the church have? Well, it has ministry. It has oracles, and it has ordinances. Now, ministry uh, might be the, the hardest one for us to put our finger on. Uh, but ministry is sort of the idea of administration, taking, uh, taking one thing uh, and fleshing it out. If you're an administrator, you, you take the, the daily tasks of, of a job uh, that are somewhat ephemeral, uh, and you put concrete steps to them. You work out uh, the, the business that has to be done. You, ad you administrate things. That's part of, of the idea of the ministry of God's people. That's part of, of what a minister is in a church. It takes uh, the, the presence of Christ and in some sense ministers to the people. It's almost a, a mediation. I, I, don't, I don't mediate Christ to you uh, in, in, a, in a specific sense. I'm not Christ to you, but I am to take, uh, as in my role as a minister, I'm to take his word, uh, to take his truth, uh, to take his love and his compassion and, and in some sense to, to show that to the congregation. And so ministry is this idea of, of a sort of a presence, right? It's a sort of uh, taking this, 
sometimes ephemeral idea of the gospel and the truth of God's word and fleshing it out. Almost this idea of uh, what we saw at the beginning. Jesus says, as the Lord has sent me, I send you. The Lord came and was incarnate. The Lord sends his people into the world. And then oracles, well, these are the teachings. This is the word. Uh, this is what we come every week to hear uh, in God's word. And we, and we sing it and we pray it and we preach it and we read it. Uh, and this is the oracles of God. And then the ordinances as well. These are uh, going to be the sacraments and some of the other uh, forms and things that the church does. Now, um, the reason I want you to see that uh, is that there are three things in the Great Commission. In fact, there is really only one uh, distinct verb, one distinct command, um, and it is in blue there. The only distinct command that the Lord gives is disciple all the nations. But uh, he lays out how that ought to be done uh, with three participles, that is, having gone, that is, being in the world, being where you are, being a neighbor to those around you, uh, baptizing, that is, bringing them into the church through the uh, the means and the ordinances the Lord has given, and then also teaching them to observe all whatever I did command you. That's the oracles. And so I think there is, there is a really uh, distinct understanding in the Westminster Divines, and they're saying, what is the church all about? Well, it's about living out the Great Commission, quite frankly. It's about uh, gathering and perfecting the saints in this life to the end of the world. It's about discipling the nations. So we need to say, what is the mission of the church. Well, it's not necessarily social justice. There ought to be some social justice, some real social justice that goes along with uh, the gospel. It's not just about fellowship, although there ought to be some real fellowship between God's people. Uh, and it's not just about being a blessing to the world. It's about discipling the nations. And so this is where we're getting our idea, our new uh, mission statement. As the Lord enables, we make disciples. And we see that in, in three different ways. I think a, a helpful quote here uh, from Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert in their book, What is the Mission of the Church? Uh, if you're thinking about these, uh, these questions, a uh, great resource. The church is sent into the world to witness to Jesus by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations. So uh, there is our, our mission, uh, that we make disciples, and that happens in a few distinct ways. It happens through worship. Aren't we being discipled as we come to worship every week? You know, that's a question that we dealt with uh, last year. We were talking about what is worship for? Uh, is it primarily um, to make us feel good? Well, no, it's not primarily to make us feel good. It is primarily to, uh, to praise the Lord who is worthy of praise. But uh, when you see what Paul talks about and, and what worship is about in the New Testament, especially when he starts to talk about some of the, the gifts of the Spirit, he says, here's what I want. I want you to be edified. When you're speaking to one another in worship, I would rather you speak five words with your mind to edify one another, that we should be built up, that we should be trained and discipled and made more like Christ. That's what he wants in worship. Worship is a, a formative thing for us. When we come to worship and we sing and we pray, we learn the rhythms of the gospel working out in our lives. And so worship in spirit and in truth, it's a spirit-empowered expression of our discipleship, but it's also formative for us. And then, then growth. Uh, this is what happens, I think. This is uh, expressing how do we uh, become disciples? How do we grow? Well, we, we grow in love for one another. There's the fellowship aspect, but we also grow in, in holiness. We grow more like Christ. And then uh, finally, this idea that we're really zeroing in on now is this idea of evangelism. 
Uh, evangelism is, is this verbal proclamation of the good news of Christ. It's preaching Jesus Christ where he has not been named, as Paul says uh, to the Romans. Uh, it's making known the glorious salvation of our God, but uh, that verbal proclamation is to be accompanied with lives that uh, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's what Paul wrote to Titus, uh, that the way that we live ought to adorn uh, the doctrines that we preach and the things that we are about. So this is just uh, to set the foundation. Why are we talking about this now? Well, well, because we believe it's the mission of the church to make disciples. And everything else that we do in these three different ways, worship, growth, and evangelism, uh, we want to be a church that makes disciples, makes you better disciples, and, and perhaps even gathers in those uh, of God's elect who are thus far outside of the church. Any questions on the mission uh, before we move on? Feedback. Uh, feel free uh, to stop me at any point as we go along and, uh, and say, hey, I'd like to know more about this or we need to, we need to push this a little bit further. So now uh, we're going to turn uh, a little bit and we're going to talk about evangelism. Let's start with the definition. And uh, in fact, let's, let's start with your definition. So you try. How would you define evangelism? Uh, not too long ago after this letter was sent out, I was gathering with somebody from this congregation uh, and they pulled out that letter in our meeting together, and they said, you, you, the session is saying that you want to be about evangelization, but what do you mean? What do you mean by evangelize? How would you define it? Ronnie. Okay. Okay. So reaching out to the community uh, as a church and as individuals. Okay. Good. Mike. So, so I think uh, these two things are working in tandem, uh, maybe defining a little bit more, what do we mean reaching out? Um, not that, so the reason I, I'm, I'm asking is that we probably all have a deficient view of evangelism in some area, and so we, we want to sharpen one another. Um, it's good to reach out, but what are we reaching out with? Well, we want to reach out with the good news that we've heard, absolutely. Tim. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my, my next point. So hold on to that. So it, it means sharing the good news. Uh, it, it's simply taking the, the message of Christ, him crucified and resurrected. Uh, you, could, you could find a good summary of the gospel at the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, he says, I remind you of the gospel that I preached to you in which you stand, in which you hold fast, uh, in which you are being saved, if indeed you hold fast. And then he says that Christ was uh, crucified according to the scriptures uh, for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised again according to the scriptures and he appeared to a bunch of people. So there's a, there is, uh, in the sense of evangelization, there is an having happenedness, as Dale Ralph Davis says. What are we sharing? We're sharing the truth of something that has happened. Uh, and, and it's this idea of declaring good news, something uh, that has happened. How else would you, Jay, how would you define evangelism? Yeah, 
that is a, a good corrective to the way that sometimes we think about evangelism. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, not knocking the Baptists, um, but in my particular Baptist church, they would have a season every year, they, they called it revival. Um, now, I'll let you determine if, if you uh, can schedule a revival or whether that's in the hands of the Holy Spirit, but they had revival meetings, and they would set up a tent uh, and, and hearken back to the old days of, uh, of a, a dirt floor tent evangelism, uh, and they would have these, these sort of outreach events. And that's good in a sense. It's good to have particular events where you say, we are doing evangelism today. You can set your, your clock on it. You can put it in your date book. Uh, come and do evangelism with us. But I think that's a, a good corrective too, that it's more than just a one-time event. Jay says it's a, it's a lifetime. What does Peter write? Uh, he says, well, always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have within you. He's assuming that people are going to ask you about the hope that you have within you. He's assuming that they're going to see the way that you are living and say, well, what are you so hopeful all the time about? That, that there's, that, you know, you're, you're sort of doing pre-evangelism in the way that you, you live and work. Uh, and that's what we were trying to catch with this idea of, of word and deed. I saw a uh, hand, uh, Dave, and then I also saw Kathy. And, and some of it, I think, um, deals with their misconceptions about Christians. Oh, I, I wouldn't want to be a Christian because they're a stick in the mud. They're, you know, all of these, they're really judgmental. They're all these other things. Um, when you, uh, if you've ever read, and, and perhaps you will, if you've read Rosaria Butterfield's account of her conversion, um, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, uh, she talks about what really made an impact was, uh, was a pastor of a Reformed Presbyterian church bringing her into her home uh, and not just preaching the gospel to her, though he did, very clearly, very methodically and slowly and explicitly. It wasn't a one-time, here's a presentation and you're saved now, uh, but it was this long, slow process, but she also got to see him interacting with people in his home, sharing hospitality. And it changed her idea of what the gospel was about in the lives of God's people. That's part of it. Part of evangelization, when it's done well, uh, is, is not necessarily just, you know, you think of the street preacher. There's a place for street preaching. Um, but there's also a place for sharing your lives with unbelievers uh, as well as the gospel. And I saw Kathy as well. How would you define evangelism? Sure. Absolutely. So there ought to be a motivation behind our evangelism. And the motivation ought not to be, I need to, to tick my box, I need to get another notch on my belt, uh, and I need to be able to go back and say, I have evangelized this many people. Um, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come and knock on your door, they're keeping a tally 
with the number of doors that they knock on and the number of hours they spend walking the streets and sharing uh, Watchtower Society publications so that they can take it back to their Watchtower Society and report to the people who are checking in on them. That's how they do evangelism. It keeps them very active, uh, but it also keeps them spinning their wheels thinking that they're doing something good when in actuality uh, they don't know the gospel and they don't know the Lord uh, of creation. And our evangelism ought to be vastly different than that. It ought to be motivated by a sense of seeing the reality of sin and judgment and caring enough about those who are headed to judgment uh, to speak up and to share with them. It ought to be love. Yes. Any others before we move on? Good. Well, uh, Tim did a good job of stealing my thunder. Uh, in a sense, evangelism is a really simple concept. It is to proclaim the good news of salvation. The Greek word, uh, euangelizo. Uh, I could read it if it were in Greek. Um, euangelizo, and it simply means to proclaim good news. That's where we get our English word evangelize. And we will see it today. Uh, in fact, this is where it gets a little more hairy. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 today, Jesus will quote Isaiah, and he will say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, he has anointed me to evangelize to the poor. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so there's a sense in which evangelism is just getting the message out there. It's proclaiming the good news of salvation uh, to those who haven't heard. Now, it gets tricky uh, because the scriptures use that same word in situations that we may not always think of as good news. Uh, earlier in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is teaching and he says to the people about repentance and the one who is to come after him, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Little hellfire and brimstone preaching from John. And then Luke adds, so with many other exhortations, he evangelized the people. You say, whoa, 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 where's, <laughs> where's the good news? Uh, where's the, the proclamation of, of what has happened? He's, he's issuing a warning. Uh, and yet Luke calls this preaching good news. And so I think a few uh, lengthier definitions are helpful. These are not my ideas, but I think it uh, helps us to... to um, systematize what we're talking about here. The first one comes from uh, Mike Rosati's childhood pastor, uh, Al Martin. This is a good lengthy one. Uh, he, he does a good job of adding clause to clause, but, but helping us to flesh out what it means. Al Martin says, evangelism is communicating with words the God-revealed truths which comprise the foundation and substance of the biblical gospel along with the promises, demands, and entreaties which accompanied that gospel. What does Al Martin add? What helpful uh, things does he add to our more simple idea of simply preaching good news? How is he helping us to define what we're talking about when we're talking about evangelism? Using words. Uh, I read a, an, an article recently, uh, showed up in my newsfeed uh, somewhere. Um, it was an article, this woman is saying, I have... I have realized that I'm able to share the gospel without saying a word. False. You are not able to share the gospel without saying a word. You're able to do pre-evangelism without sharing a word. You're able to live as a Christian in the sight of the world 
uh, without saying a word, but you are not able to evangelize without saying a word, without some kind of communication of the truth of the gospel. Remember, there is a message. The good news is that Christ has come, has lived a perfect life, uh, has given his perfect life, and has been raised from the dead and calls sinners to trust in him. People don't get that by simply looking at you. you know, we can think of it in the sense of um, last month, in December, uh, we were talking about how do we know God. That, that, was our, um, that was our confession of faith for the month, remember? And we saw there are two ways that we know God. One, by creation, and second, by Scripture. This is what we typically think of as general revelation and special revelation. General revelation, Paul says, that people are without excuse for the fact that God is, for the fact that he exists, for the fact that he has created all things. And to deny that truth is to suppress the truth of God by our unrighteousness. But so that we might know the truth of the gospel, he has given us special revelation. You can think of your evangelism to the outside world in those two ways. They can see God working in your life by the way that you work. They will not hear the gospel unless you open your mouth or write a letter or, or communicate in some way the truth of the gospel. Good. So he adds uh, communicating with words. What else does he add helpful? Mike. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we change the message, we're not preaching the gospel. There is one gospel, uh, and we need to be rooted. There ought to be a foundation Another foundation. We've already talked about the foundation of love under our evangelism, but there also ought to be a foundation of scriptural truth. If we're making up our own good ideas, uh, we are missing the whole thing. Absolutely. So the, the biblical truth. Scott. The along with. So, so tell me about that. The idea that it, it comes with promises. It has something to do with you. It's not just a gospel that's hanging out there in space that, that you'll never interact with, but it's good news. It's good news for sinners heading for hell. Uh, it makes demands on us. Repent and believe. Um, and, and maybe in your gospel conversations with unbelievers, maybe not every conversation gets to all of these, but if we're thinking about full-orbed evangelism, we're also talking about uh, demands. What does the gospel demand of you? It demands faith and repentance. Uh, and it also has entreaties, sort of pleading with those who don't know, uh, as, as uh, Paul says in Jude, and I think we'll see later, um, snatching those who do not believe from the fire, pleading with them, uh, drawing them away from a life of sin and destruction. That's what evangelism is about. Okay, another lengthier definition. We'll, we'll skip through this uh, more quickly, J.I. Packer, to bear witness to Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit so that people may come to put their trust in God through Christ, to acknowledge him as their Savior, and to serve him as their king in the fellowship of his church. What does J.I. Packer add that's helpful here? The Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Uh, can you evangelize and be effective in evangelization simply by having uh, the right uh, formula? No. What does Jesus say to his disciples? It is the Spirit who gives life. 
the flesh is of no help whatsoever. Uh, so when we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about a Holy Spirit activity through his people uh, that he calls us and enables us to be engaged in, uh, but it is not up to us to change the heart. We want to give a defense. We want to be apologetic. We want to give a reason for the hope that's within us. We want to, uh, to be as winsome. We want to be as, uh, as helpful. We want to be as accurate with the biblical gospel as we can be. And we also want to be praying for the people that we're evangelizing. Because we realize that even when we have done all that we can do, we are merely unprofitable servants, but the Lord is the one who's able to change the heart. Absolutely. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, anything else that Packer adds? Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that, um, that Great Commission passage that we just saw. Uh, teaching them uh, to observe all that I've commanded you and, and also baptizing them, bringing them into the fold uh, of the people of God. That there, there ought to be, um, you know, there, there's a sense in which baptism is that identification with the cross of Christ. In fact, that's what Romans is about. If you've uh, been baptized in a baptism like his and then speaking about the death of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, there's an idea of being gathered to the church and not just, well, if you believe in Jesus, you'll have a relationship just between you and him and you can go on your merry way. Uh, I think this is, this is part of the demands of the gospel. If you're one of God's uh, children, you want to be with God's people. Uh, and, uh, you know, let, let's make the church a part of our evangelism. That, that's, that's the point of what we're talking about here. Not just uh, how can you go out and, and be a force for evangelism in your own little spheres, uh, but how can we as a church, as the body of Christ in the world, uh, how can we be drawing others in? Anything else before we move on? Mike, and then I, I saw Landon in the back there. That there is, uh, with this foundation of love, there is a desire uh, to see sinners saved. And there is this idea that uh, if the Lord has saved you, shouldn't we want to share that with others in the hopes that the Lord will save others? And we leave it up to his sovereign decision. We leave it up to his will who will come and who will reject. Um, but remember that, that sort of dividing um, that Christ does. Again, in, in uh, Luke chapter 3, John says that his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will separate the wheat and the chaff. And that's part of what evangelism is. Part of it is separating the wheat and the chaff with the hopes that the Lord will be bringing in the wheat. With the hopes that when the gospel is proclaimed, whether uh, in a church service or on a street corner in, or in your conversations with, with people that you work with, people that you know, your family members, the hope is that the Lord will be bringing in the wheat and gathering his people to himself. Landon? Yeah.
yeah, Packer's pretty good. <laughs> That's my understatement for today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, this idea that, that if our evangelism is not pointing to Christ, it's not really pointing to the gospel. The message is that Christ has come and died for sinners and been resurrected uh, for righteousness. And, uh, and we need to be pointing to him. Not pointing to ourselves, not pointing to, uh, you know, I became a Christian and I feel much better about myself. That's not evangelism. <laughs> That's not the message of the gospel. Uh, the message of the gospel is not, you know, uh, Christianity makes me a nicer person. It makes me more moral. It gives me a bearing in this world. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ is the Savior, and he's the king. I like this uh, idea, um, acknowledge him as their Savior, serve him as their king. This, this mirrors Al Martin's uh, demands and promises and entreaties. There's a recognition. What, what did Jesus say in the Great Commission? He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Sometimes we look at evangelism and we think that it's this scary thing, and it is. <laughs> it's, it's often very frightening, if we're honest. Uh, but if we could recognize with eyes of faith and really grab hold of the idea that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, what does that mean? It means that our evangelism is uh, God's people, ambassadors going into conquered territory. The end game has already been played. Christ has already come, the gospel has already been enacted, and we are waiting for the day that he will return and declare judgment on the wicked and gather his people to himself. And in the meantime, we ought to go into the world and say, it's already done. Whether you believe it or not, this is the reality of things, uh, that he is king and he is savior. And bow the knee now, uh, because you will bow the knee uh, before it's all over. One more definition, this one uh, from an eminent scholar named Paul. Uh, him we proclaim. He's pointing to Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I believe if you're reading the King James, that idea of maturity is perfect. We present everyone perfect, and that's where the Westminster divines were going, uh, the perfecting of the saints, building up Christ's people uh, in love and holiness, in wisdom, biblical truth. And he's pointing to Christ, and there are entreaties, uh, and there is a goal. There's this idea that when evangelism takes root and the Lord blesses it uh, with, with fruit of salvation, uh, that people will be saved and we will be uh, gathered and perfected in him. Well, that's all the time we have today. Uh, and uh, we're going to continue looking at some biblical pictures of evangelism, uh, a few different ideas about what evangelism is next time, and we'll also deal with some uh, misconceptions. Uh, but what we certainly want to be doing as we end our, uh, our sessions on evangelism is that we want to be praying. Uh, if evangelism is a Holy Spirit activity, uh, we want to be engaged in prayer. And so I am going to ask one of my ruling elders, uh, Chris Campelli, who has had a long break and has not had to pray publicly for a while with his sabbatical. Uh, Chris, would you please close us uh, in prayer?
We invite you all this morning to take a moment and prepare your hearts for worship while the prelude is being played. The very mind of God calls us to worship him this morning using the words that he has given us in his holy scripture. Please rise as we prepare to answer that call using the words printed in our bulletins. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. We'll continue with our service of praise this morning, singing hymn number 164, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing.
Please pray with me. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you expressed your glory with your mighty right arm, having created all that is seen and unseen. More than that, you reveal yourself in your word, expressly setting down all we need to know for your glory and our good. Fairest Lord Jesus, you condescended to bring the good news to the poor in spirit, calling a people to yourself and releasing captives of sin and death. Holy Spirit, you warm the hearts of your enemies, transforming souls so they put their trust in God through Christ alone. O triune God, glorify yourself in our presence through our worship today. Give us a vision for that time when our voices will join together with the saints from all the ages of every tribe and tongue and nation, and when we'll sing your praises for eternity. We lift up these prayers now to you in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. We're here because someone proclaimed the good news of Christ to us. But the good news of Christ has its meaning within the context of the bad news that all of us can see in the world all around us. And by examining our own souls, we see within ourselves our call to confession here says it a lot more plainly than I can. The, st the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. We'll take a moment now to confess together corporately uh, those things that we have done that uh, give expression to the knowledge that all intuitively have of the doctrine of original sin. Then we'll take a moment to privately, personally, and concretely confess our offenses that we have made against God. Let's confess together now using the words in our bulletin. Almighty, eternal, merciful God and Father, we poor sinners confess that we have sinned in many ways against you and your commandments. We confess that we have not believed in you, our one God and Father, but have put our faith and trust more in creatures than in you, our Creator. 
Our whole life is nothing else than sin and transgression of your holy commandments and an inclination toward all evil. Therefore, we beg of you, O Heavenly Father, that you would graciously forgive us all our sins, keep and preserve us henceforth, that we may walk only in your ways and live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our Savior. Amen. We confess these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the assurance of pardon from Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Uh, Sandy's going to play this uh, somewhat unfamiliar tune for us through once before we actually uh, sing it. Please rise for our hymn of thanks from the Psalters, number 72E.
will now confess what we believe about God and his revelation of himself to us. Christian, what do you believe? The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. Please be seated. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the prophecy of Isaiah. We'll continue our reading in that book uh, in chapter 52. We'll be picking up our reading this week in verse 7, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. And you can find this on page 613 of the ESV. Hear now the word of God from Isaiah chapter 52 beginning in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that, of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Our New Testament lesson uh, will be starting uh, reading through the Paul's letter to the Colossians. So today we'll begin that book in chapter 1. And you can find this on page 983 of the ESV. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of God from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Come now to our time of prayer together. Uh, and even though we do not have uh, an insert in our bulletins today, we'll be praying for the persecuted church in China. Uh, each year we walk through the uh, Open Doors USA list of the top 50 persecuted churches, and that list hasn't yet been released for 2019. Uh, and so we'll pick up that as soon as it is out, but uh, today praying for the persecuted church in China. We're also praying for Megan Wanick as our member uh, of the week and uh, Nathan Dix as our missionary, uh, and uh, the ministry there at RUFBU, not just Nathan, but two full-time interns this year. A real blessing uh, for that ministry there. Uh, and you would have noticed, uh, if you're paying attention, a difference that you've not seen in our service in about a year. I'm going to be praying for two of our elders today, as Chris Campelli has just rolled off of a one-year sabbatical, uh, and this year Mike Lee is rolling onto a sabbatical. Uh, both of these men have served long and faithfully at Redeemer as elders. I believe 17 years was the count, somewhere around there. Uh, they'll, they'll correct me later if I'm wrong. Um, but serving as elders for a long time, uh, and we'll be praying that the Lord would uh, continue to strengthen Chris, uh, to serve the Lord, Lord with joy and gladness, and that he would give rest, much-needed rest to Mike uh, in his service uh, over these coming months. Uh, let's now go to the Lord in prayer together. O Lord, our God, we come to you. As every Lord's Day, we come to you on this first Lord's Day of the new year, dependent upon you, kept and gathered and shepherded by your mercy alone, proclaiming that your steadfast love never ceases, that your mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. 
Because of these things, we can have hope. We do not have hope because of ourselves, not because of any work that we can do, not because of any righteousness in ourselves, and not because of the situation in the world around us or the things that we possess. Our hope is in the Lord alone and in your grace to save and to lead your elect. O righteous Father, we pray uh, this Lord's Day, just as every Lord's Day, that you would meet us Uh, continue as you have already met us in worship, that you would feed us and lead us. May we be the sheep uh, of your hand, the people of your pasture. We pray that you would keep your church in this coming year, walking with you in faithfulness. Oh, that you would make all your goodness pass before us, O Lord, Uh, that we would taste and see that you are good and that your steadfast love may always be before our eyes. This is our greatest need, to know you, to love you, and to walk with you. Would you cause it to be true in our hearts? Would you cause it to be true in our church? Would you gather us together in unity, even as we look to an upcoming uh, congregational meeting in just a week, even as we look to another congregational meeting at the end of the month, and all the things uh, that we have to discuss, we lay them at your feet as we lay ourselves at your feet. We pray that you would keep us in the unity and love of the gospel. We pray that you would unite us in spirit to do the work that you call us to do. Keep us from uh, being so excited about our own ideas that we forget what your word has called us to do. Even as we began discussing today in Sunday school, we pray that you would make us a church that is zealous to make disciples, that we would be discipled as you gather us to yourself and teach us, and that we too would make disciples of the nations. We pray that you would empower us, O Lord, by your Spirit to magnify your glory and to be identified with Christ, the one who was rejected and hated by men. And let us, even as Isaiah prophesied and and the words of the Hebrews tell us to go outside of the camp and bear the reproach of Christ, make us willing to bear Christ's reproach, identified with his cross, and his losses in this world so that we may gain a heavenly kingdom and that inheritance that you lead us to. O righteous Lord, these are some of your promises, and our hearts uh, leap for joy when we hear them, knowing that you are the one who will keep us, and you are the one who makes all of these things true and will uh, bring them to pass in their allotted time. Oh, would you continue to be the loving and caring God for those who look to you in the midst of persecution, for brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who live and work for ministers and missionaries, for uh, church servants, uh, deacons and elders, and many who are there uh, serving and uh, and ministering to one another uh, undercover and in fear of being found out. Uh, We pray that you would give your mercy. We pray that through affliction the church would prosper and grow in China so that your name would go forth, so that your gospel would be proclaimed. We pray that you would be the one who refines your people as the refiner of silver and the purifier who purifies your sons, that you would make them like gold uh, seven times refined, that they would uh, be glorious and pure in your sight, that you would do this even through the fires of affliction. Thank you for your promise to be with your people as they walk through the fire and when they pass through the deep waters that they would not be overwhelmed. Make that true, O Lord, for your people in China and in every place where your people call upon your name and are persecuted for it. 
where men hate them and revile them and say all manner of evil things falsely against them on your account. We pray that you would strengthen them and give them resolve to stand upon the gospel and to teach one another uh, that all that we may lose in this life is but a trifle and is nothing compared to what we can gain uh, by being united to you by faith as your Holy Spirit works in us. And so would you do that for our brothers and our sisters in China today, even as you do it among us, we pray that you would do that same thing for Megan. We pray that uh, she would grow in some of the goals that uh, she has, spiritual goals for the new year, that she would uh, be regularly in the Word, that she would be regular in prayer, that she would have communion with you, and that she would be a light and salt in her community where you've called her. Give her uh, that secret of knowing what it is to be content in whatever situation. And give her wisdom. Uh, for her job and, and for the future. Uh, help her to rely upon you and to follow you wherever you may call her, seeing every turn of providence as directed by your hands and submitting herself to your leadership. We pray that you would make her a woman after your own heart, uh, that she would have a witness in the world, uh, that she would be firm and steadfast upon the truth of Christ, grow her in life and godliness and holiness for the sake of your name. Gracious Lord, do the same at BU. Thank you for Nathan and for the two interns that work with him. Thank you for Nathan's wife, Sarah, who labors alongside of him uh, in the way that they are seeking to be faithful to your word, even this new year as they begin to speak, as he begins to teach uh, on relationships. We know that the world uh, wants to uh, spurn the Christian teaching uh, on God-honoring relationships, whether it is uh, the, the fronts of orientation or of uh, of abstinence or of faithfulness or of looking to you and waiting upon your timing. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would give him boldness to stand as he ought upon the foundation of your word, not swerving. Uh, make him as wise as a serpent but as gentle as a dove, that he would point to you in the word that you have given him. Raise up the student leaders and make them more faithful to disciple one another and strengthen the hands for work of the interns that work with him that they would be men after your heart as well, that they would seek after what you are doing, and that they would preach the gospel to one another uh, and, uh, and to the people at BU. Oh, Lord, would you raise up this ministry uh, for the sake of your name? Would you continue, uh, we ask, to uh, walk with Linda Adelblue as she waits for the uh, delivery of her daughter, as Tim also waits alongside of her. We pray that you would give them patience, oh, Lord. We pray that you would be her strong habitation, her rock and her fortress, and that you would give commandment to save her, uh, that in due time she would be delivered and that uh, you would uh, be pleased to bring their daughter into this world uh, safely uh, and with great joy. We, we long for that day when we can see another little one uh, presented for your covenant sign of baptism and uh, that we would see your seal put upon your people and a reminder of your faithfulness. Would you remind the Edelblues, uh, even today, of your faithfulness to them, and would you keep them? Gracious Lord, thank you uh, for our elders, all of them, uh, but especially for uh, Chris and for Mike. In this time of transition, thank you for the, uh, the year of rest uh, that Chris has had. Uh, we thank you for the way that you are energizing him already by your spirit to lead us in worship, uh, to pray uh, the words of your people and uh, the words of your scripture to unite us to your word, uh, to lead us, to call upon you. Uh, thank you for his work. We pray that you would continue to strengthen him, give him joy and diligence in his duty as an elder. Uh, even as we have an elders meeting this week, we pray that you would 
uh, give us all spiritual wisdom as we come to decide and, and to discuss some of the things that you call us to do uh, in the church. We pray that we would be subservient to you, uh, that we would be submissive to your will and to your word, that you uh, would speak and lead and rule through your people, uh, but that, that ruling would be your very own for the sake of your name. And we pray that in uh, this coming year that you would uh, energize Mike Lee, uh, that you would uh, help him as he takes a small step away from some of the duties of eldership, uh, that he would be refreshed, uh, that he would know uh, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that he would come to you and find rest for his soul. And we pray that uh, even as he desires to continue serving you as a faithful elder, that you would keep him uh, looking to you. And we pray that this year would be a blessing. We pray that his uh, sabbatical would, uh, would indeed be that, would be rest in the Lord, uh, and that he would, uh, would come back uh, again next year, energized and, uh, and filled by your spirit uh, to help to lead and, and direct our church again. But thank you, O oh Lord, for your leadership of us. All of our leadership is, is dependent upon you. You are the great shepherd of your sheep. You are the God who keeps us and leads us through every stormy gale. And so we pray that you would keep us always looking to you, not just at the beginning of the year, uh, not just uh, with the joy and the prospect of another calendar year before us, uh, but every Sunday, every Lord's Day, every, uh, every day of the week, every day of our lives that you should give us breath, we pray that you would keep us looking to you. And we would be your faithful people who, uh, like uh, maidservants, look to the hand uh, of her mistress, and like servants look to the hand of their master, that we would be your people, dependent upon you. O oh Lord, this is our prayer. This is our need. Uh, and we pray that you would teach us uh, to be humble before you, to call upon you as our Father, even in the way that Christ taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I continue our time of worship as the deacons come to collect the Lord's tithes and offerings.
It's also good after a brief hiatus 